First of all, how are you, man? It's been a while since we've talked. I'm good. I am good. It's, it has been a while. It's good to kind of um, get a break from from the craziness of that season and kind of just enjoy basketball without having any kind of emotional attachment to any of these games and just watching um, greatness as it's been. It's been pretty great games going on. How was the vacation? And it uh, looks like you're, you're all settled back into regular life now. Yeah, you know, the vacation was great. That said, like, it was – I don't want to say I'm happy the Lakers lost because that's obviously not the case. But uh, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise because, man, when I was on that trip, uh, you know, with the East Coast time and, you know, because it's a – you know, it's an island, so you're starting early in the day. It right. just was one, it was one of those things where, like, it's hard for me to even – fathom how that would have worked <laughs> you know, for, right. for me and you to have consistently done those those post game shows so it, you know it kind of it kind of worked out in that regard because i didn't actually watch a ton of basketball i watched some but not a ton while i was over there just because it was chaotic and it was vacation and um <clears throat> obviously with all these games and shows it was nice to kind of you know spend some time with my wife and just kind of get some distance from it um, but I'm happy to be back, and I think there's quite a bit to talk about because we didn't even get to do really a a postseason show. And so that's kind of what my goal is for today is to do – I'm calling it a eulogy, but whatever it is you want to call it, just a, a like a remembrance of what this team was and what went wrong, and then just kind of uh, looking forward as to – in a macro sense what they need to get better at because obviously it's hard to say for sure until the actual off season and you get to see the the really defined list of targets and the cap situation and and all those sorts of things and when and when rob has more detail about you know what caruso wants to do and what Schroeder wants to do and blah 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 um but we can have a general conversation about what their needs are and i think yeah. you can frame a lot of that just from the way these other playoff teams are playing. Uh, no, for that's, sure. That, that's kind of that's kind of what I, what I've been really taking away in the last week. So, I guess I guess a good place to start is this. Like, aside from the obvious injuries, you know, which are out of the Lakers' control, um, what did you think was the death nail uh, for that team in particular? This Laker team, this 2021 Laker team. Yeah, it's kind of tough to separate like injuries from it, right? So like uh, in my notes, I was just looking at the notes and they have 25 different starting lineups. Now like that's fine if it's just like few players going out like 3 and D wings kind of out. But when you have like your main shot creators out like LeBron and AD, your main defensive acres out for a long time, it really just changes the um the changes the team, right? Like you need your main guys in there and uh, you kind of separate the season into a few different parts. So like that 21 and 6 kind of start is what kind of sticks out to me and and from there that's where everything kind of dropped off even with ad not being his his full self to start the season you kind of saw what the the theories that we talked about in the off season and that's mainly the thing that killed us to me is like just not being able to have any lineups with uh with our main guys in there this team was built around an elite defense to go around its two stars to go around anthony davis to go around lebron james and when you have one of those missing for extended times it's tough for your team to kind of be that team and just like for reference here the the phoenix suns team we played they, they only had nine different starting lineups compared to 25 different different ones from us and chris paul and devin booker played in almost every single one of those i think both of those guys missed two games total um during the season so that was my main kind of killer for me what about you what did you think kind of uh, derailed the season so i mean obviously that that line of consistency was a huge part of it um, uh, I'm not going to dive too far into this next thing yet. Cause I want to talk about it when we talk more about the off season, but I did think that there was a glaring example of a lack of shot making and skill out of our role players, something that other teams don't have an issue with or as much of an issue with. Um, I think that, you know, someone asked me last night on Twitter, they said, well, I agree with you. So what's going on across the hall, you know, with the Lakers? What, like, like, what do you think their deal is? And I said, you know, LeBron and AD being two of the top five players in the league. And the fact that Frank is so good with his defensive uh, scheming and coaching. And the fact that the roster just in general was such a good defense, I think covered for a lot of those problems. And you know, again, it's this is not a catastrophe type of problem, obviously, because they just won the title. 
and they took two games off of that Suns team. That's really good. Like we can look back at the Suns thing now. Like you and I have talked throughout the season. I think myself in particular told you that I was high on the Suns because I thought their roster made sense as a playoff team. But they're even better than I thought they would be. Like the Suns are really, really good. They do all the things extremely well that you need to do to win a championship. And with LeBron and AD on the floor through that first four games, you know, not counting that ridiculous attempt that he had in game six when his groin was basically useless to begin with. Uh, they were plus 9.3 points per 100 possessions with LeBron and AD on the floor. So the Lakers were doing damage to a really good basketball team when they were healthy. So this isn't like a catastrophe. That said, I do think that the the lack of skill and shot making from those role players is a key weak point in the roster if you have to point to something. And even some of the stuff like Caruso shooting over 40% during the season – and uh, uh, Kuzma shooting higher than he did the last couple of years. Some of that came crashing down to earth in the postseason in a way that made you feel like maybe it was a blip and not a trend. Um, would you agree that that that's a that's a weak point? Uh, yeah, for sure. But I think like it's kind of tough when like you have two kind of guys on max deals. Like when you're building your team around, it's mostly going to be of these like role players and. Like these role players are getting better and better. Like we see in the playoffs, like with, with Phoenix, their guys can pretty much score in three levels, right? You have like a Mikhail Bridges, who's not just like a three point shooter. He can also put it on the floor. And I think that's where they need to kind of improve the roster. I'm not sure how they will, but like you need guys that can catch and also read, like read on closeouts, read when to attack and when to shoot. I, I'm not sure what to take. Like we talked about this a lot. Like, I'm not really sure what to take from the playoffs. Like, uh, with all those guys hurt and we we saw guys scared to shoot and i'm not sure if that's like a confidence thing or what to do with that or if that's just like this season being kind of wonky but i do agree like we need more we need like people who can shoot man we're seeing in the playoff like that's such a premium the clippers are staying in so many of these games because they just hit ridiculous shots they can hit threes and and i was over here just praying that we can hit a catch and shoot three-pointer like once in a while and these dudes are just flinging shots so trying to get some more shooting in and but that's been the topic for a for like a couple seasons now trying to get more and more shooting um and i think you can kind of work with that like you have a bigger margin for error when you have your stars playing but like when you have one of them out you need shooting and we saw that kind of important importance of that phoenix kind of won the math game um so many times because we just were shooting like 20 percent our open shots so I, I do agree with that i just don't know how you do that on like minimum deals and without just keeping your players that you've had last year because they're going to be really strapped on the salary cap because you have two guys already making the max the max money so i'm not sure where they do that from but i do agree they need more they need more shooting on this team man you can't go you can't be shooting 25 percent a series and expect to really win so for starters like the cap situation is what it is the it's important to acknowledge that teams like the clippers also have two max players and that you know sure. Chris paul and devin booker fetch massive salaries and you know drew holiday and, and Giannis antenacumbo and chris milton all take huge salaries like the the thing is is like Guys like Reggie Jackson, they come available every year. They do. Like a, a version of Reggie Jackson comes available. You know, a, a Marcus Morris or whoever it is. I'm just giving random examples. Sometimes you have to do some, you know, some, um, uh, some, you know, manipulation with salaries to make it work. Sometimes you got to throw in second round picks. Sometimes you got to get their teams involved. And I'm not saying that they're going to be able to get, you know, extremely high quality skilled shot makers. But that said, I do think that as a point of emphasis, instead of going after the Drummonds of the world, maybe you go out of your way to try to get the auto Porter type instead, you know, and obviously he didn't even become a, a buyout guy this year. But like the, the point is, is like, that's the, the archetype that I'd like to see them go after because the Lakers added some, like Andre Drummond is a significant piece given their situation. And so as we head into this off season, I think like, you know, you and I talked a lot this year about how deep the Lakers are, right? Like they had 12 guys that they could play on any given night. Uh, if you counted McKinney and 11, if you don't. So depth was never an issue for them, but it was all depth that could play one way, you know, like almost every role player provided mediocre spot up shooting, really good effort in defense, and like not a whole lot of off the dribble stuff. You know what I mean? Even there, even from the guards, like even a guy like Caruso, like he could put the ball on the floor. He could run some pick and roll. 
that he wasn't a guy like like when you had him running pick and roll counter to campaign campaign was 10 times better and it ended up you know manifesting in the scoreboard so i guess what i'm saying is is like i'm not saying you ditch all of that identity but maybe it's time to try to get a little bit more versatility on that front and try to get it so that maybe you have the ability to call an audible and go to some more shot making and playmaking and things along those lines, just so that you're more versatile. And then, like you said, shooting just absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, you know, the Lakers were able to overcome their lack of shooting as a result of their freak top end talent. And the fact that they defended so well in 2020, but I think moving forward, especially with how good Brooklyn is going to be when they're healthy, the Clippers kind of figuring things out, Phoenix being on the radar now with the, with the number of good teams that are in the picture now that weren't in 2020, I think the Lakers simply have to be a better shooting team. That has to be a point of emphasis. Uh, I, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. So it's funny that you bring up like Reggie Jackson and he's on a vet minimum deal, right? And he's absolutely outperforming his contract. Um, I think he kind of outperformed it last year as well. He's average, he's getting like 30 points. He had, you know, I feel like the two biggest shots in the game last night. But that's kind of what we envisioned kind of Schroeder to be, right? Like kind of like that scoring guard that can hit big shots, who can attack the rim. Um, I think we saw Schroeder as a little bit more of an attacker. But I think that's where like the Lakers kind of poured their resources into, right? They gave up a first-round pick. Um, they gave up Danny Green, who, you know, is very polarizing in, in Lakers Twitter. But, I mean, he was a shooter, you know, shot 40% from three this year, a good defender. Like, that's where they kind of pour the resources out, too. And, again, like, that's how, how I'm going to remember the season is, like, it's a very theoretical season. It felt like every time one guy came back, another guy came out, we're like, oh, okay, imagine now when he comes back how this will look. And then, like, he went out, like, you know, LeBron LeBron went out, and then AD came back for a couple games. We're like, oh, imagine when LeBron comes back. LeBron came back. AD wasn't himself. Like, so it's, it's really hard for me to kind of judge, like, this roster. I feel like it's a lot of, like – Hindsight is twenty twenty. People are like killing um, Rob Palinka kind of for the <laughs> roster, killing Rob Palinka for the roster here. When over the summer, you know, they were kind of lauded as like they kind of um, killed the off season. You know, yet uh, Kendrick Perkins also saying stuff like, you know, they really lapped all these other teams. And I, I feel like we never really got to see it. And I feel like the Drummond edition really, we can kind of get into that as well. The Drummond edition really kind of derailed their identity, in my opinion. Like they they really fought a little too hard to try to fit him in instead of kind of doing what they were doing to try to build to the playoffs, it just felt like a lot of, like, it felt like every game was just like, oh, did Drummond kind of fit in here? Is Drummond kind of getting used to it? And I feel like it kind of killed their identity there a little bit. Their identity was like this hard-nosed defensive kind of team where the center would just, you know, be like a finisher, a lot finisher. And Drummond obviously sees himself more as that, you know, getting these post touches. And I'm not blaming him. I mean, there were a lot of injuries around. It just felt like a really weird season. You know, Dennis Schroeder also coming in and out through COVID protocols, like, it's hard for me to take what he did as well in the play. He really struggled once LeBron and AD went out. It's just a really weird season. And, like, going after the GM and all that, like, they, they built this team around a defense and the stars, man, and, and we never got to see it, really. So I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, where they where they go in terms of team evalu- player evaluation. Like, for you, how do you evaluate these players, I guess, that really struggled when the lights got bright? So, and, and this is, you know, this goes back to something that I think we have to come back at AD for. And, and also to your initial point at the beginning about continuity, because like the, the, the Lakers did play with AD at five for the most part in last postseason. I think it was like 60% of the minutes. Yeah. Like 60, 65%. Um, Yeah. And then I think, I think in his minutes in this postseason, it was kind of a similar ratio, but that's still just a little more than half. And you know, you said something a couple seconds ago that stood out to me. You said Dennis Schroeder was supposed to be our Reggie Jackson. And yes, he was. But he's Dennis Schroeder playing with absolutely no space to operate. And meanwhile, I see a clip in the game last night of Reggie Jackson isolating against Rudy Gobert at the top of the key. There are three help side defenders on the left. And they're all within three feet of their shooter because they can't leave them. And Reggie Jackson mixes up Rudy Gobert, gets him on his hip, kind of jumps back into him a little bit and does one of those, you know, Talon Horton Tucker reverse style layups and, and gets a finish. We are setting Dennis Schroeder up to fail. We are setting LeBron up to fail because of the fact that we are playing an archaic form of basketball. 
And it, it, it's funny because yesterday I was I was poking around because I was thinking about some of LeBron's great playoff performances after you know Kevin Durant's amazing game the other night, and uh, I came across the 2014 Heat <clears throat> on the road in Brooklyn. They had just dropped Game Three. This is that uh, you know uh, that really stacked but old Brooklyn team. Yeah, and and LeBron just put on a masterpiece, like a forty nine point masterpiece. He actually beat him with a pass too to Chris Bosh, which was funny. Um, uh, but it was all Bosh at the five, with you know uh, D Wade was the only non shooter. But D Wade could, by the end there had become such a good cutter that it, it was he almost provided his own form of spacing. Like the help defender had to be so aware of what Wade was doing because he couldn't you couldn't lose him on a cut. And, uh, and LeBron, LeBron just was operating in a ton of space. And I'm like, this is seven years ago, man, seven years ago that the, that the heat had figured out that the, that small ball was the way of the future. And, and it just bothers me because like, you know, Jason Maples has been getting a lot of crap on the TL for saying that, uh, that AD should be a full-time center. He's right. He should be a full-time center. That doesn't mean there shouldn't be centers on the roster. There should be, but they should strictly play in games when AD's resting or when AD's off the floor. That's when they should be playing. The Lakers need to embrace a modern form of basketball. And the entire reason why they don't is because of Anthony Davis and his fear of guarding centers because he thinks it's going to wear him out. Meanwhile, on the other end of the floor, he's playing in this like chaotic scrum ball where every time he puts the ball on the floor, there's three help defenders up underneath him and he's landing on people and he's getting bumps and bruises. The play where he hurt his groin, DeAndre Ayton's completely ignoring a center and, and standing under the basket and, and, and help side. And it just, you know, that, that's like, that's been my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is like the Lakers were able to win playing 40% of their minutes in an archaic form of basketball because they were so good defensively and because LeBron and AD were so good, but they were actively handicapping themselves. And, and I, and I just, I think that at some point, someone's got to have that tough conversation with him and be like many centers like you have come before, including Chris Bosch have embraced this modern form of basketball. It's going to help Schroeder. It's going to help LeBron. It's going to help you, man. And, 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 and hopefully at that point they can start to, you know, start to see, because the Lakers offense has been a problem for both of these years, especially in the half court. Even the championship team was a terrible half court offense. It's like a real problem that everyone just forgets exists because they're the 2020 NBA champions. Yeah. And we've kind of litigated this. Like it's pretty clear. Anthony Davis does not want to play center full time. And I just don't see that changing at all. Like it's just sometimes this is what happens. Like he wants to be the power forward and, he feels like it makes it easier on him, and I think that's what they're going to move going forward. It's just like I, I think the main key for me next season is Anthony Davis coming with a sense of urgency. Right? Like I feel like he never came with that this season, even when the Lakers started really well. Um, he was basically he was basically just a jump shooter. He was basically just a spacer, right? Like he was never aggressive attacking the rim, and I think that's where the main thing for me for him playing power forward. Like if he wants to play power forward, that's fine. It's just like I feel like it really baits him into being just a pure jump shooter or. Able, settling at the top right Have, being able to be defended by smaller guys um he doesn't attack the offensive rebound the same way when he's not the center i think that's all well and fine but i feel like your centers have to be guys who can either protect the rim or be able to really switch out and i think that's where they need to kind of find that kind of balance there i thought dwight howard was a really big part of that last year it's why the lakers were so successful in my opinion um even with anthony davis playing a lot of power forward is they had a center that was dwight howard's a really smart high basketball IQ guy really can protect the rim. And that's where they need to look this season. I, I don't see Anthony Davis playing center full time next year. I just, I just don't see it. Like he obviously has made that clear to the front office, to the team, to the coaching staff, that he does not want to do it. And I think there's ways you can kind of protect that, but he's got to be more aggressive. I want a sense of urgency next year. And I just don't think we got that this season. And it's fine. He can have a pass for that. He was injured. Um, but I want to see him attacking the rim attack switches. Like, and you need, I want a lob threat at that center position as well. I think it's really tough when you have a big guy who can't jump, who also has a tough time catching. They can just sit another center right there, and it just really forces him into jump shooting. Like, litigating whether he can be a center or power forward. Like, if he's going to play center when it matters, I think it's okay. Like, I think that's, I think that's fine. The Lakers are going to live with that. But he has to be more aggressive. We can't have this, like, 
jump shooting guy who's uh, just not engaged in most of the games. And I think he will be next season. The the one downside to, to the, to that approach that I think goes glossed over all the time is like, you know, the Lakers had some stretches against Phoenix where they went small with AD and yeah. five, particularly in game one. And they got, they got their ass kicked. And part of the reason for that, in my opinion, is like when you're so used to playing one way all season, um, because AD refuses to play the five during the regular season, uh, except in very tiny bursts, you don't get the reps that you need. And what's crazy is like, you know, if, if AD is not doing any pick and roll coverage all season because he's playing off ball and help, but then suddenly in a high leverage moment, he's asked to do that. Something he hasn't practiced barely all year. I think that it can manifest in them struggling and, and having moments like they did in Phoenix where they tricked off game one in a way, in a way that could have potentially cost them the series, you know? And, and it's just one of those things like practice, what you plan on leaning on when the time comes, like it, if maybe the compromise here is instead of going 60, 40, 80 at the five in the postseason in 100% AD at the four in the regular season, maybe you go 60, 40, 80 at the five in the regular season too, and at least get some uh, or some percentage of it there so that the Lakers at least are comfortable going to that option frequently because they have the practice and the reps and, and, and they've leaned on it in, in, in that regard. I do agree with you that the, the Lakers center has to be a, a vertical spacer and someone that can guard in space. I hope that the bridge isn't burned with Dwight Howard because he was a really good fit. The best case scenario for that is the Sixers going down in flames because if they go down in flames, Dwight's, you know, Dwight might miss what he had in L.A., um, the, the trouble is, is that the Sixers are going to be able to give him a raise on that veteran minimum uh, without affecting their cap situation. So it could be a matter of a few hundred thousand dollars and whether or not that ends up being a, a, a factor. But, yeah, that's the kind of guy that you'd like to see them go after uh, for sure with that spot. So so it can be a vertical spacer or like a three point threat, which is why, like, I thought Marcus all was just like that perfect fit next to AD, right? Like we talked about this all over the off season as well. It allows AD to be the five kind of on offense, right? Like with Marcus mm-hmm. all, he can be the five on offense. And it was st- still weird that even in the, even when those two played together, I think this was more because of AD's maybe aggression early on, but Mark was still the guy in the dunker spot. A lot of the times, which is kind of strange where AD was kind of the spacer there. I thought those two should be switched, but I just thought that would be the perfect fit. And we kind of saw that to start the season, even with those, some of those wonky lineups, even with AD not being aggressive. I think they were like 21 and six or something when they, when they started, uh, started the season with those two being the two bigs. And once AD got hurt, all that kind of derailed, but I just thought that was kind of the perfect fit. And they really went away with that to kind of, you know, go to the Andre Drummond experiment and try to fit him in. And like I said earlier, I thought that really derailed kind of their identity this season like I, I love that fit with mark i thought it lets ad be the five not just ad be the five have a guy that finds him when he seals down low have another passer next to lebron so i hope uh, we'll get into free agency maybe later maybe another pod but just i hope mark and i know he's signed for next year i hope he comes back i just i would like to see those two kind of build a little bit more chemistry i think those two only played like 20 something games together this season or something some low number i'm um, not sure exactly how many it was but just to have another guy that can pass like that, I don't think AD's even played with another big man that can pass like that as well um, in his time in New Orleans or with the Lakers. So just another guy there who can space the floor. I think Mark got up to like 40% as a three-point shooter as well. And and I, that's the only thing, right? When, when we talk about AD at the five, what do we mean? We mean like that he's not able to be at the basket, right? And that's where Mark kind of flips that. You get the size mm-hmm. of a center while also allowing AD be inside because Mark has to be respected um from outside of like five feet five to ten feet and that's where i kind of want to see that's the balance you can kind of fit if you don't have a lob threat you can at least have a guy that spaces the three-point line that gives mark like you were talking about gives dennis Schroeder driving lanes give lebron driving lanes um how many times do we see that phoenix just pinch you know right at the nails and there's no room because you have drummond down low even when ad was playing they don't they're not really worried about him as a jump shooter in that series so that that's kind of what I want to see this this off season is a little bit more care on that on that position. Um, it felt like they really tried to fit Andre Drummond in, and I think that experiment kind of uh, didn't go as planned. I'm not sure. And Drummond obviously doesn't want to be back on the minimum, so I think that was probably the last game we see him him in a Laker uniform. But, I I don't know. We'll see. It'll it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's clear that he wants some portion of the mid level exception, but I think it's going to come down to what is available because. 
you know, uh, honestly, if there isn't a reasonably reliable perimeter player available, I think you have to take from it um, because AD is going to miss probably 15, 20 games next year. Uh, and they will play him at the power forward a ton. And you do need depth at the center position. I, I think that's just the harsh reality of the situation. I, I mean, uh, but like if, if someone comes up in that mold um, of the, of the knockdown three point shooter who can do some, you know, really low level playmaking and hold his own on the defensive end. I think you have to favor that. Uh, but it, but it has to be like a knockdown three point shooter. Like this, the, the Lakers have one guy on the roster that you're scared of if he catches when he's open. And that's KCP. Everyone else you're like, no, nah, he might make it. <laughs> Everyone else. It's like, Oh, Caruso has been 40%. But you know, when Caruso shoots a three and you're the other team, you're like, we can live with that. You know what I mean? They don't have that, that, uh, you know, that, that buddy healed type of, of just knockdown. Like if he's open and Seth Curry, whatever it is, he catches it. You're panicking. We don't have that on the roster. And so that needs to be priority number one. And if that's not available, then I think you do have to bring back Drummond for depth. Um, but you know, like as far as the, uh, uh, the, the overall totality of the strategy going into this summer, this is something that uh, Darius Soriano said uh, from from Laker Film Room's uh, the, the the Laker Film Room podcast. He had said, you know, d- there's no point, and this is something you and I have said on and off throughout the year. There's no point in overreacting to what just happened um, because Dennis Schroeder was playing really well before the COVID suspension. You know, I vividly remember I was on a ski trip in 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 uh, Park City. And like literally like watching him just destroy the jazz, like just destroy the jazz by himself, Um, uh, uh, just executing in pick and roll, picking them apart with the pass and finishing at the basket, just looking amazing. And, and, And he was he was passing way better than he had in his entire career, something that going into the season, I talked about being kind of a little bit of a weakness for him. You know, he's a little bit of a tunnel vision guy. He had grown, you know, playing with LeBron and seeing the floor a little bit better as a passer. And he was really kind of peaking on that end, uh, on that end of the floor. And then bam, go sit in your house for two weeks and and then come right back for, for really high leverage, uh, you know, playoff basketball. And that's, that's tough. And then the, the continuity stuff with, with LeBron and all the guys, LeBron being a primary playmaker all of a sudden after playing, you know, roughly 30 games without it. There were so many weird factors in there that made it so that it's hard to really gauge what their needs are. I think there are clear, obvious needs like shooting and a little bit of shot making, but it's hard to say for sure whether or not they need to overhaul things because what, you know, as LeBron said in his post-game presser, like we never got to see our full team, you know, even when they were all out there, it was, they were still kind of, they were like in game one of that series against the Suns. you know, the Suns are in like a well-oiled machine, just on the tracks going full speed. And the Lakers are like in training camp mode, literally there. They might as well have been in training camp. That's where they were at. That's something that I, I've talked about frequently. It's just like a rhythm that you have to build up. Like even for LeBron is like a, jump shooter and like a, as a ball handler and stuff, it's just hard to just go from not doing it to just suddenly doing it, you know, at, at a really high level. And, and that's why it's too hard to, to really gauge. And then lastly, as far as like judging that team, I think we can all agree that the, the spacing was a legitimate issue that made it really difficult to evaluate even something as simple as how is LeBron aging? Because you're right. They were just sitting on the nails in help side. And if he beat his man to the, to the, to the basket left or right, he had to like immediately spin back or cut back or do something like that, or try to bowl somebody over. There was, there was nothing that resembled the type of spacing that the Clippers had. And part of that is roster design. But another part of that was literally in my time watching basketball, I've never seen a group of role players get the yips as bad as the Lakers did because they are limited in some ways. They aren't as bad as they looked. That was an outlier, crazy, just complete mental breakdown of the supporting cast. Everyone played well below what their regular season performance was. And so some of that is like, some of that has to be taken with a grain of salt. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of hard to tell. Like this was a season full of like no fans as well, right? And then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and these stadiums are packed. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. That's kind of hard to judge. And like going off Dennis Schroeder, I, I always say people are gonna totally forget that he had like two awesome games in game two and game three that the Lakers don't win out of those yep. without him. Like he had like twenty points. Um he was getting to the rack. And those again, those games were next to LeBron and A D and then obviously when those two went out, I think in game uh game five he had he went oh for nine and then in game six it was a blowout after the first quarter. But like th- that's what's so tough. Like I feel like he had a really good season and it's not like it's not like this is his first playoffs, right? Like he's a guy that um even last season in Oklahoma City, like he had a good playoff run. It's not like the light should be uh, well, I was in the bubble as well, but he's played in playoff games before as well. So uh, I don't know how to judge it. Like he went out with COVID twice, I think. Right? I think it was two separate times that he got uh, he got put into the protocols, and every mm-hmm. time he came back, he really struggled. And that's again, it's hard to judge like where these teams go. And the Lakers are kind of um, kind of in a trap here because they they can't just let him walk and then like sign somebody with that money as well, right? So like you're gonna have to resign him. Like I don't think he's gonna get the number that he you know got offered that extension but like I, they're gonna probably bring him back and and that's where like it, it's really tough to kind of judge what happened in the playoffs like i, I don't i don't want to go off of six games to ruin a whole season right like mm. six games going versus like the regular season and that sample i think is is kind of more important and and that's where they'll kind of judge it kcp i think they kind of know what he has again i don't think one bad series kind of makes up and he also wasn't healthy i think for a full part of that as well so judging all those guys kyle kuzma as well like it it's really tough. I think they're going to go into next year and try to run, not run it back, but bring back most of the players that they had and try to see what happens because they were shooting well to start the season. And when you had the team mm-hmm. healthy and before Andre Drummond came on, you know, like you talk about the spacing a lot. Like I thought it was great when you had Mark out there with AD and then Dennis Schroeder. Like that's that's what they kind of switched out, right? They switched out a 3 and D shooter and Danny Green. We all, again, Danny Green, very, pol- very polarizing, but he is a spacer. He's a guy that teams usually do respect except in the finals, <laughs> but uh, teams usually do kind of, he, he would him. have been the second shooter that teams would have feared to leave open without a doubt. Exactly. Yeah. So he's a guy that teams do switch, do stay on. Like you talked about Alex Caruso, Alex Caruso can hit 45% for three teams are still going to kind of leave him open. Right. He's just not that kind of volume shooter. He needs to be kind of wide open to take a three Dan green. People are going to respect him as a shooter and they kind of switch it out for Dan Schroeder. And the point was to bring another shot creator, a guy who can create off ball screens, a guy that can, you know, run screen and roll with AD and kind of get him looks. That just didn't happen in the playoffs now and continuity, whatever you want to blame it on. Like, I think, I think it deserves kind of another chance to kind of see it. I thought Dennis is, you know, like his uh, competitiveness really kept us in a lot of games. I thought his energy, like when we were kind of dead, similar to Montrez Harrell, in a little bit uh, a little bit lesser extent but like his energy and effort kind of kept us in a lot of these games and I, I i'm fine with him kind of i think he'll be back for sure and i think that's where it's tough to kind of evaluate who who played t- who played bad in the playoffs and who didn't um just with this weird season and you know with the fans as well lakers were at like what eight thousand, while phoenix had like i think sixteen thousand <laughs> or something like you know all these kind of differences uh really went into that series and, and the suns are really good like i I was saying before, I think you said Lakers in five, and I was like, oh, man, I think the Suns team is super legit. I think it's going to be like six or seven, and they ended up winning the series. But, um, yeah, the, like, that's it's tough, man, when you're the seven seed going against a really in a uh, lot of chemistry on that Suns team. Fine, Raj, you were right, man. I wish I wasn't. I wish I wasn't. He, uh, the, the one thing that like, you know, the core formula of LeBron and AD plus elite defense clearly works because, you know, wh- wh- regardless of what is around that, you know, whether or not they play AD at the five or at, you know, inferior shooting or really good shooting, because even those two games they won in this series, they didn't shoot the ball well. That was the crazy part. You know, right. Laker fans kept falling back on this idea like, hey, just wait till we start knocking down shots. You know what I mean? And, and so, you know. I don't think, you know, include game two, they won in Phoenix and yeah, Chris Paul didn't play much in the second half, but that was because partially because campaign was literally lighting us on fire, you know, and, uh, and they were leaning heavily on that. I don't think they wanted to play two tiny guards against that big Laker lineup. And like the, the, the thing is, is like the silver lining here is that core concept of the way that this team is built, you know, healthy LeBron and AD elite defense is, is hard for teams to deal with. And, and you know, Phoenix might not lose a home game this year. You know, they're, they're that good and they're that good at home and the Lakers beat them. 
on their home floor, you know, comfortably. They won by, I think they won by like 10 points or so, you know, like that was a, you know, th- there are reasons to be optimistic, but like, you know, we're going to talk about the, the, the off season in a more detailed way later on um, in a few weeks. <clears throat> um, but I think the core principle needs to be bring back everybody you can uh, by, by signing them to their normal, whether it's, you know, player options in the case of someone like Trez or it's a, you know, a $20 million a year contract with someone like Schroeder or whatever you can get Caruso for whatever, whatever you can get, just, just get everybody under contract because then you're going to have a bunch of those intermediate, uh, intermediate contracts that you can put together into trades so that if something does pop up, that looks like an opportunity, you know, whether it is for someone like Buddy Heald or like a CJ McCollum or something, I, and I'm just throwing random examples. I haven't really thought these through, but the point is if you needed to peach uh, or piece together contracts, you need the contracts first. So I think the I think the move is to sign everybody and deal with the cap, the cap uh, consequences later. And, and that, because the only way they're going to be able to improve the roster, because I don't think they want to hard cap themselves again. The only way they're going to be able to improve the roster is the smaller portion of the mid-level, the mid-level exception veteran minimums and trades. That's their, the, that's the totality of their, their options here. And so I think, I think that's the, the smart uh, path. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on kind of surface level with this Lakers season before we move on to some of these other series? No, I mean, I, I think this was like a really frustrating kind of season um, just in totality. I, I feel like the second or third most important thing was like THT's development, which is funny. Like you don't usually do mm-hmm. that on a championship level team, but it felt like his development kind of became one of the most important parts of the season, just the way it worked out. And we'll see how he kind of moves forward next year. I know you have um, different feelings about him, but like the Lakers at least got something out of the season. I think that's that was the main thing. And then next year, you hope that you know you just stay healthy. Um, injuries is a tough thing to kind of blame the whole season on, considering there's like injuries every year. But um, I I just think this one was really frustrating. I don't think we ever got Anthony Davis this year either. Uh, maybe that's just a tax. That was a championship tax that this season kind of went. So so you know we'll, we'll see next year. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like that that kind of puts a lid lid on the lid on the Lakers here. Yeah, so Raj and I are going to continue to do plenty of Lakers stuff throughout the offseason. Um, but obviously, uh, we're basketball fans, so we're going to continue to do um, as much of this kind of stuff as we can throughout the playoff run. I wanted to start with this uh, the Nets series um, uh, with, uh, with Milwaukee. And, you know, before we even get into the nuts and bolts of the series, I wanted to pay a compliment to Kevin Durant um, because I don't think people realize just how big of a deal that performance was uh, above and beyond the obvious, you know, numbers, you know, we've, we've all heard the numbers. He had 31 in the second half. He assisted another 18. So he scored or assisted on 49 in the second half. Um, I thought he was awesome defensively, which is something that I've been critical of him a lot, you know, compared to his peers. I just never thought he cared as much as his peers at the position. And, and, but he showed in that game that he's will, he's actually capable of anchoring a defense, which we already knew, but he, he showed it again. And then, you know, the biggest thing is like, like, you know, there's a chance that Harden gets healthy and there's a chance that maybe Kyrie comes back in the finals and it's going to, it might look easy. They might win easily. And I think people are going to forget this game. Because this, it kind of reminded me of game six for LeBron in Boston in the sense that, you know, they kind of cruised through the thunder, kind of handled them. Not, not, not super, it wasn't a blowout or anything, but they kind of won relatively comfortably in the finals. And people forget that, like, it was that close to falling off the rails in that Boston series. And also because of injuries, because that series was the series that Bosch missed the beginning with an abdominal strain. And even in that game six, he came off the bench. And I, I, you can't put it any more plain than this. If Kevin Durant has 40 instead of 47, the Nets probably are 90, are like nine, not just lose the game. They lose the series. Right. They lose, they lose the series if he doesn't do that. Meaning they, they're, they're chance in, the, you know, and this series is still very much not over. There still is a talent chasm here. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the coaching, malpractice uh from from uh, mike budenholzer but like i just want to take a minute to compliment kevin durant on what was an absolute masterpiece 
one of the best basketball games I've ever seen any player ever play. And, and just remember that like, <clears throat> and it's, you know, the, the, one more thing, <laughs> Darius Soriano actually from Laker film room said this on a pod yesterday. He goes, he goes, the path that Kevin Durant chose kind of concealed how great he was over the last few years. And, no, and, for sure. and, and just strictly because he never had to dig that deep. And, and what was so cool about that last night, it was, just, it was the first time since 2016 where he was in it. Cause like, you know, I don't want to hear it about those shots in Cleveland. Like, yeah, yeah, they were great shots. Yeah. He played amazing, but like he could have, he could have went out there and had 12 points on four of 17 shooting and they're winning the series. Like they might not have won that game, but they're winning the series. There was no real pressure to those moments. And what, what he did in that game was, you know, dig deep and do something he absolutely had to do in order to, to keep his team alive. And I think, I just think that's really cool because that's the best part about the NBA super, the superstar experiences. The NBA superstars are so good and so much better than everybody else on the floor that when they do dig deep like that, like crazy magical stuff like that happens. And as a basketball fan, I just thought it was so cool. And I think that's what most like, like saying those warrior titles don't count is dumb, right? Those, those narratives that have been talked about in all these, um, sports shows and first take and all that where they they talk about the Durant's titles but I think that's the main thing that most people are kind of annoyed about that is like it felt like when Katie would drop 40 on those like you know those super Warriors teams it felt more like an overload instead of like him having to do it right and he totally can he could totally carry a, a team like this um for a whole year like he just he has that kind of talent I feel like that's the stuff that we kind of missed out on being on this team and I thought with him and Kyrie I thought it was awesome that he got another kind of shot to do that to kind of be the main kind of score where if he doesn't score 35 they lose you know that kind of not pressure but that kind of like where they rely on his scoring it felt like you know obviously he was the finals mvp twice you can't take that away from him it just it just didn't feel the same it didn't have the same kind of those points didn't feel the same i guess as they do in these games and i thought kind of the hardened trade kind of um, masked that as well this season but obviously with those two with Kyrie and Harden out, you're kind of seeing um, what he can do. And to me, he's the greatest scorer I've ever seen. Like just personally, like his ability to come off a screen and just shoot um, and no one can really bother it. And as you said, we'll talk about what the coaching staff, the, the opposite coaching staff did with him, um, which I thought was malpractice as well. But you know, him being able to just come off down screens, like I just never seen a guy at that size. Like I think he's listed at like six ten, but I, like, I feel like he's a legit seven foot being able to come off screen, shoot, handle, you know, left to right crossover pull up like there's just unguardable stuff stuff that I, you just don't see from guys that size so to me he's like the best scorer i've ever seen and it's cool to see him kind of get his flowers um on this team and he really outplayed kind of Giannis as well and you kind of saw the difference in what kind of matters in the playoffs for right? like we see what matters in the regular season and then once you get to the playoffs like shot making is the king like a guy who can create his own shot is everything and I guess we can bring it back to the Lakers later, but like, it's just, you see guys that's able to come off and pull up, which I think is the most important thing in the playoffs. You need a guy who can cut when everything is taken away, when teams are locked in, um, you don't get open looks. You need a guy that you can just give the ball to and be like, Hey, we need a shot here. And Kevin Durant's one of the best ever at that being able to just come off a screen and pull up or, you know, in isolation and just, just rise above anybody. And it was, it was awesome to be able to watch that and, and see him just tear a team's heart out. They had like a 20 point lead. And once they saw Durant kind of hit those first shots, like that's really demoralizing. It's like, what do we do? You know, you play up on him and he drives by you. you you're you in some weak drop coverage and it's a layup. That mid range shot is a layup for him. Um, you kind of play off or, you know, you drop back. You try to cheat under a screen and hits a three. It's just, just stuff that's three level scoring that's just, you know, the best ever to kind of do that at that level. Yeah, there was like a little jab step jumper on the left elbow that he made in the fourth Man. quarter that was like, he made it look easy. And I remember sitting there thinking like, this is one of the huge advantages of three level scoring is that ability to, um, you know, hit a standstill shot like that out of a, out of a face up that allows you to kind yeah. of save your, save your legs a little bit. He got to the foul line a couple times driving along the right side. You know, there was, it just was it, the variety is variety is what allows you to, to adjust and, and have the ability to, you know, kind of, uh, be one step ahead of a defense as elite as that, as that uh, uh, Milwaukee Bucks defense is. And, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about KD before we move on, you know, I think that 
if you're putting, you know, superstars in the NBA on tiers and, you know, I know a lot of people think that this stuff is silly, but I think it's fun. I, I think it's fun to rank players. You know, if you, if you're not into that sort of thing, I'm sure you can find some other podcast out there, <laughs> but, uh, the, like, I, I think that, uh, you know, Kawhi, Steph, LeBron and, and KD are all kind of on the same tier as in like the only four guys that we are certain can be the best player on a championship team. That said, like, I feel like there's an obvious and discernible gap between KD and Kawhi um, in the sense that, like, even when KD does engage himself defensively, he's not as good on the ball, but he's like a much better in help side. And then that that level of shot making that he has is even a clear level above what Kawhi does. And and what what was crazy is I was I had been thinking that before that game, and then you watch the visible chasm that exists between him and Giannis, just like a absolute like like it's jarring when you're watching the game to see the difference between the two of them, and you know someone <laughs> the thing that was making the rounds yesterday was or the last couple of days was the the AD and Giannis stuff again. And I think that the AD Giannis stuff is the perfect example of the difference between a floor raiser and a ceiling raiser, because I don't think AD can hold a candle to Giannis as a baseline superstar to build a team around for an 82 game regular season as a guy that can run a rudimentary regular season NBA offense and score and create enough offense to, to have a, you know, 50 plus win season and at least get you to the playoffs. I think he's just flat out considerably better than AD at that. But when things really grind down and scheming plays a role and the game gets into the half court and teams are, are really cutting off everything that's easy in a way that they don't in the regular season. I think AD is considerably better. Like I think there's a chasm in the other direction. And so it's as simple as like, would you rather have him as a number one or a number two? And if I already have a LeBron or a James Harden, I'm, I'm picking Anthony Davis over Giannis. But if I don't have that player yet, I'd rather have a Giannis and go after an elite high-end playmaker, which is why it was such a huge mistake for them not to go after Chris Paul. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like looking at Giannis, like he's like the – like he gets blamed a lot for what the Bucks do, and it's kind of funny. Look at his line after it's like thirty-five, twelve, and like and like five. But it's just like a difference in regular season and playoffs. And I think it's really tough when your main shot creator can't shoot. You know, like that's just a fundamental flaw, like in your kind of team building. So it's tough when their perimeter main perimeter shot creators are like Drew Holiday and Chris Milton, and those are two guys like the Brooklyn Nets just aren't worried about kind of beating them. And and comparing AD and Giannis, like it's tough. I, I think Giannis has a much better motor in the regular season. Like he's a guy that plays, oh, yeah. you know, plays, uh, nose to the wall every single game. And AD just doesn't approach the regular season like that. At least he hasn't, um, last year it was a little bit better, but especially this year, like his, he's just not going for regular season kind of, uh, points awards and things like that. And that's where Giannis really excels. And when you get to the playoffs, everyone's kind of playing hard. And, and again, when you can't shoot, it's just really tough. We saw last year, AD shot making was, a huge part of the Lakers winning a title. Like it's, uh, we kind of forget, we forget after game two, we were wondering if he was the finals MVP, like his, his shooting, his ability to hit that mid range kind of jab step pull up. It's kind of what won them a lot of the series against Houston. That's what changed the game. Houston went small and Mm -hmm. he absolutely punished their switches. And you see Giannis Brooklyn go small and Giannis just can't, punish them at all either right they are able to switch bruce bound on a switch all these guys blake griffin on him like an older blake griffin and he just can't do anything because like he doesn't have any touch on a jump hook and it's just a just so funny like i was watching the nets bucks game it's just funny to watch Giannis like have zero touch on like a hook shot right like a plain hook shot from like two feet and you watch kd get the rebound dribble up and shoot a 35 footer that just swishes in it's just a funny like just a contrast of like kind of skill level there that that's just a difference when you're shot creators i think philly Dude, has this issue. every I, bonehead center in nba history has been able to make a two-foot hook shot and because they practice it you could tell that the coaching staff isn't having him work on that enough right and, no, for and, sure. and yet he's bullying down and he's getting within five feet of the basket and that's the shot they're giving him 
No, yeah, and, 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 also, and there's no touch on it. No, and he also settles for these fadeaway jumpers. You know that Brooklyn absolutely throws a parade any parade anytime he takes. And then these like dribble up threes. Like I think the dribble up threes are like kind of okay if you're up like 15. You know, like it's just like a like a like close the door type of shot, right? I just I don't like those when you're down or when the game is close. Like he's just too. Brooklyn has zero interior kind of defense to really stop them. And I, like I was going with, like I think Philly has this issue too, where their main kind of perimeter shot creator, because I think that's really important in the playoffs. Like I think their main perimeter shot creator is like Tobias Harris, right? And uh, yeah, like Tobias Harris because Ben Simmons just stays in the darker spot, and it's really tough just to give you give the ball to Joel Embiid every time, who's a really good jump shooter. It's just I think when he takes those mid range fadeaway jumpers, I think you know Atlanta is fine with that. So it's just like mm-hmm. a, that's the tough part when you don't have star level shot creation. Um, I think in the playoffs is really tough, and we're seeing that with Milwaukee as well. Um, when with Giannis trying to just give him the ball, and he's just running his head into a brick wall every time. And sometimes he breaks through the wall, like sometimes he does. But you can see it's taxing, it's tiring to just run in the paint against three dudes every time and trying to score. Like he gets worn down at the end of these games. You see him stop attacking that way. He doesn't want to get to the line. To me, the free throws is the bigger issue here. I don't know if you agree with that, but the free throws to me is the biggest issue for him over the jump shot, over the post game, like. His aggression level drops because he doesn't want to get to the line that, you know, that allows Brooklyn to get even more into the pain. Like, it's just a domino effect for me, for him. So that's where I kind of see this bucks net series um, going here. Yeah, well, and, and allowing your player to sit there and think about the free throw that he's not good at shooting for 10 seconds <laughs> before he shoots is just the, right. it, like whoever. Yeah, whoever approved that in that organization uh, needs to get fired. But, you know, the the. The thing is, is, and this is why the series is not over. The, you know, if LeBron, if LeBron was on the Bucks, even at age 39, what he's doing in that game is he's slowly bringing the ball up the floor every possession. He's finding James Harden and he's either getting Chris Middleton on him or he's getting Drew Holiday on him or he's doing something along those lines. And he is slowly trying to suck the life out of you for playing a lineup that he knows can't beat him. And what was so missing from the Bucks in that game is that calming, steady presence that can make those decisions. Because even Drew Holiday, who was the point guard of that team, like in the fourth quarter was breaking off and isolating against Kevin Durant. And you're like, what are you doing, man? You know, Chris Middleton doing the same thing. I'm like, this is the only guy on the floor you shouldn't be going at. <laughs> and like... And just in general, there are some obvious, you know, the, you know, I have a buddy who plays on my little men's league team that I uh, uh, play with on Sundays and he played basketball at Wisconsin uh, back in the day. And, uh, and so he's a big Bucks fan. And I was talking to him about this at length and he's, and it's all the same stuff that you've heard. It's, it's the, for some reason, Harden and KD are playing more minutes than, than any of oh, the Bucks yeah. stars. The, the, the Bucks are making absolutely no attempts to make Harden guard in space. You don't want to post up Harden. You want to make him guard in space because that's where his hamstring is going to be useless. And you could tell when you watch him play, he's basically a decoy out there. He's playing the Jason Kidd role. You know, I'm going to knock down right. spot of threes and make basic basketball decisions. Then you have the, uh, the fact that they continue to play Brooke Lopez. Um, uh, but in the same exact issue that we're seeing in this Clippers series with um, with Rudy Gobert, you're using a rim protector against a five out lineup with shooting. And so for, for Gobert, he, what he kept doing is he kept getting sucked in on a drive and then his wide open three point shooter causes the team to rotate. And then he stays in the paint and doesn't get back out to the three point line. Same thing is happening with Brooke Lopez. He's on Jeff green. He's helping on a drive. He's shutting off the paint. That's great. The, the Nets aren't trying to score at the paint. They're kicking it out to Jeff Green. If he's open, he's making seven out of eight. And if he's not, he's moving it around to the next piece. And guess what? Brooke Lopez is still in the paint. And it's like at, at a certain point, and, and, he, and Brooke Lopez isn't even, even in the same you know, stratosphere as Rudy Gobert. So I just don't understand the trade-off there. Uh, but there's just some basic strategy stuff here that if the Bucks can kind of just kind of calm down and, and understand they have a talent advantage and attack them properly, they should win game six and they should be favored going into game seven. They just have to pull their head out of their ass for lack of a better expression. 
I'm glad you brought up the Rudy Gobert um, kind of Brook Lopez because I just didn't understand playing Brook Lopez. Like it just felt like once he once he came in, like KD just saw food, and KD was in full inferno at this point when the fourth <laughs> quarter started, and then he had Brook Lopez in in this like. Like, it's okay if you want to play a drop kind of coverage, but I feel like it has to be a little bit more aggressive. Like, Brook Lopez was already in the paint while KD's behind the three-point line, and now KD's just walking in, and I saw someone tweet at me, well, that's a contested jumper. No, it's not. Like, Brook Lopez's hand comes up, like, five seconds late. Um, that is not a contested shot for KD. So those kind of things just confuse me. I feel like you have to trap him. You have to get the – the ball has to get to Bruce Brown. Like, Brook Lopez, I see him worried about the cut from Bruce Brown. Like, no, you've got to get the ball – out of uh, Kevin Durant's hands. And then with Rudy Gobert as well, um, they're trying to hide him, right? Like, to me, like, if you can't punish the Clippers inside for playing small, like, I feel like you are going to lose, even without Kawhi Leonard, because their shooting is just too good. You have to make them play Zubac, and the Jazz just don't, because Rudy Gobert takes three seconds when he catches the ball to, you know, gather himself, dribble, and then try to shoot. And by that time, he's either stripped, he's either fouled, like, they need to be able to punish them. They have Nick Batum kind of switching on them, and they don't care at all. And if you can't punish them going small, same with Brooklyn. If you can't punish them from going small, I feel like you're going to lose. It's just it's just too tough. You have to kind of make them go big with you, and um, the, the the Jazz just can't do that, and neither can the, the Bucks right now. Brook Lopez catches in the post. They're not scared of him shooting a jump. Brook Lopez is spacing. Like, they're using him as a spacer. He's out, like, 35, 40 feet while Giannis tries to barrel himself to the rim, and they're just not worried about that. Same with Utah, to me. Mm-hmm. Like they, Brooklyn they doesn't to, care if he shoots threes. Exactly. And also, like, Gobert needs to be a force inside. He got some offensive rebounds last night, but I thought it was a little little too late uh, to me. And those offensive rebounds just don't aren't going to force the Clippers to go big either. They're trying to hide him mm-hmm. on Terrence Mann, hide him on Nick Batum. And we saw Terrence Mann kind of dunk on him yesterday. We saw Reggie Jackson, like, hunt him out, which I thought was kind of crazy to see. Reggie Jackson looked for the Gobert switch, which I thought was just a real, a real funny thing to watch. But yeah, those two teams have some issues there. They need to be able to punish inside. If not, I feel like the shooters for both are just are just too tough to kind of to kind of stop. Well, and and, and that's the thing. Like you want to set yourself up with those rotations to to kind of have the math work out, right? So like if like the way the Clippers are guarding the Jazz, the way the Nets are guarding the Bucks, it's a it's a really simple concept, you know, like particularly with the Clippers, you know, we have these five mobile perimeter players. And if at any point someone has to help, the whole team just shifts. And whoever was guarding the ball handler that got burnt, he kind of gets into that shift and, and, and finds the next available guy. And because everyone's mobile, there just tends to not be anything open. That's just kind of the way that their, their defense works. Well, you know, you know, our, uh, one of the guys that I follow is, uh, uh, he runs jazz film room. Uh, ben Dow said he did a bunch of film analysis last night. And he's he keeps pointing to these rotations where you know Clarkson's getting lost and and things along those lines. And 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 one of the things that I think is getting glossed over there is the math is off because Gobert is in the paint. So now all of a sudden, instead of it being five guys rotating to five guys, it's four guys rotating to five guys because Gobert is now in the paint because he helped on the drive. And the driver has already run back out to the three-point line, but Gobert has stayed in the paint. And, and now you're kind of running like almost like a four-out, one-in zone. And But if there's five shooters and if they, if they rotate the ball well enough, they're still getting open shots. And, and, and that to me is like, you know, I think, I think this is something that I, I – this is something I tweeted last night. It's something I believe. You know, the, the Rockets got kind of roasted for their switching defense – in 2018 um, right. for it being, for it being kind of gimmicky um, and something that was, uh, you know, not sustainable. And, and, and it, and it wasn't because, you know, the, the greatest offensive team ever uh, picked them apart at the end of the day. But I do think like switching is the future right now. Uh, as of right now, like there's always going to be, there, there'll be another shift where where switching will get attacked too well by NBA offenses but NBA offenses haven't quite figured out how to properly attack a switching defense yet, other than isolation. And so because of that, like, I, I think, I think to, like, look at how well the Nets and the Clippers are playing. And they're your two heavily switching teams right now. They, it is, it's very obvious that that works right now in the league. And so I would actually, you know, just temporarily bring this back to the Lakers. I'd like to see them do that a little bit more. 
And it's something that they can only do when AD's at the five, unfortunately. But there's something to be said about switching in the way that it stagnates another team, causes guys like Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, you know, Donovan Mitchell to lose their minds a little bit and not know what to do and resort to just throwing up bad shots. Like I can't tell you how many times in the fourth quarter of both those games, either Mitchell or Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton threw up a bad shot, sometimes even early in the shot clock. And it's because like all of their offensive, you know, motion attack is based on, you know, teams playing a traditional defense and they get up the floor and they run that first action and it's a switch. And they're like, uh, what do I do now? (laughs) Well, like, I think I can, he's kind of giving me a little bit of space. Like maybe I can just elevate over the top, you know, or shoot a step back or something. And, and so I do, I I think that this, this playoff run has been kind of a case study in the fact that going a bit smaller in favoring switching defenses, favoring shooting, doing traditional drive and kick, not necessarily driving to get all the way to the rim, but driving to get that first defender so that you can get out to an open shooter. That stuff works really well, even in a playoff setting. And I, and I think that, I think that that's been something that I, I just, you don't have to abandon your identity if you're the Lakers, but I'd like to see them add that as like a versatile, like a, like an audible that they could go to, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And I like that you brought up Houston because it's kind of funny. Last year, like we forget, like Houston was really successful with their switching defense, right? They they won game mm-hmm. one, I think, by like 20 points or something like that. Um, and how did the Lakers beat that? They had Anthony Davis, right? They were switching these small guards. And I think that's the only like bad thing about switching is that the other team can kind of hunt who they want, right? So we saw LeBron as well hunt Russell Westbrook every single time because the Houston Rockets switch everything. So LeBron can kind of get the match if he wants or Anthony Davis kind of um, can get the match if he wants. That's the only thing with switching. And I feel like for Utah, like you, you talked about it, like you have to be able to punish when they switch. And I think that's where Mike Conley is really missed for them. Like Mike Conley is a big part of them being able to attack because obviously Utah, like with all their shooting, the main, like the easy kind of defensive scheme is to switch everything, right? They want to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. So just switch everything. And that's where I think you need another guy, Donovan Mitchell, you know, did a great job, I thought, this series, really keeping them, keeping their head above water, um, scoring 40 points, 35 points on pretty good efficiency other than last night. But um, that's where Mike Conley is really missed. Another guy who can not only attack switches, but really can find Gobert down low, can really feed him lobs. Donovan Mitchell is a, is a good passer. He's not – Mike Conley is a guy who's actually looking to get others involved, which I think is a difference there. And he's a guy that can really beat you with speed, get to the rim – hit threes and I think they really missed that against this Clippers team like you I feel like it'd be tougher to switch if you have two guys that can really punish you the the Clippers the only guy they're worried about is Donovan Mitchell they're not worried about Bogdanovich beating them in switches or mm-hmm. you know Royce O'Neal getting to the basket a few times like it's really Donovan Mitchell um, doing that and Drew Holiday as well you brought him up he's another guy that he's a good scorer but he's not like his skill isn't to shoot off the dribble right and that's where Brooklyn like switching really baits you into that it baits players into trying to match up um Matt try to go in isolation when they maybe that's not their skill set so that that's where switching kind of hurts them and I think these two series kind of have played that out you need guys who can punish you um especially when your big man can't like Giannis and Rudy Gobert not to compare them but those two really aren't punishing the other team inside and so the teams can continue switching continue staying small skill ball small ball still be able to stay small and space out five out and it's just that's really tough you lose the math game there Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, what's what's exciting about potentially playing a little bit more of that style with the Lakers is they can attack switching defenses. They have the skill set in their roster to do that. Um, you know, and one of the reasons why is kind of in the same way that that uh, uh, Kevin Durant does the the ability to put your back to the basket or attack and face up or attack and pick and roll or attack like the ability to go to a bunch of different styles of of isolation offense with LeBron and AD gives you the ability to attack uh, both ways. But, you know, I I know we got to get you out of here because of work. I want to make sure that we, um, you know, stay consistent with this stuff, maybe either, uh, you know, uh, after tomorrow night's games or sometime, sometime this weekend, we'll do another one of these spaces after the game. Um, But I wanted to get back and, and kind of do like a little recap of the Lakers season. Everyone who hopped in, I have uh, this recorded, so I will post it on our podcast feed 
if you missed any of it and you can check it out in its entirety here, probably within the next 20 minutes or so. Um, but Raj, I appreciate you taking some time uh, before work today to hang out. I'm glad to be back. I look forward to doing this for a long time with you and I'm excited for this off season and, and hopefully uh, another um, run at a championship at some point in the future. Yeah, man. It feels good to be back. It took like a week, it took like a week <laughs> off. So it's nice to be back in the fold again and uh, talking basketball, even if it's not the Lakers, we can really get into these teams as well. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's man. cool to be back. It's cool to be back. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your Thursday and uh, stay tuned on the podcast feed. And, and Raj and I will see you at some point before the end of the week. Appreciate it, everyone. Thank you.